Our scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 24. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become wealthy. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female slaves, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house, to my kindred, and get a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will only make successful the way I am going. I am standing here by the spring of water. Let the young woman who comes out to draw, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will also water your camels. So I drank, and she also watered the camels. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to obtain the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you will deal loyally and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, so that I may turn either to the right hand or to the left. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will. So they sent her they sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse along with Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of myriads. May your offspring gain possession of the gates of their foes. Then Rebecca and her maids rose up, mounted their camels, and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Now Isaac had come from Bealala Roy and was settled in the Negeb. Isaac went out in the evening to walk in the field, and looking up, he saw camels coming. And Rebekah looked up, and when she saw Isaac, she slipped quickly from the camel and said to the servant, Who is the man over there walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> Let us pray. Dear Lord, these are ancient words. And it tells a story, it weaves a story that 
seems so foreign to us. So we're going to need your help, Lord. We're going to need your spirit to speak to ours so we can glean some truth in all of this that will make sense for our living today. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, I need not tell you that the marriage traditions in biblical times are very strange next to our own today. And in fact, if you read through the Old Testament, you will find that there's a variety of traditions. There's not just one uh, way that marriage was handled, but it, there were different nuances, uh, different uh, customs that were associated with marriage. And so I'd just like to go over just a few to kind of give you a sense of what it would have been like in the time of Rebecca to have had her marriage arranged in the way that we've just heard it read in our scripture lesson this morning. First of all, couples generally were uh, encouraged, if not required, to marry within their own clan, within their own family structure, if you will. That's why Abraham sends his servant all the way back to the homeland where he began his journey when he came to Canaan. Uh, he sent his servant back there to find a wife for his son Isaac. And that seems so strange to us today, but that was uh, fairly much the custom uh, in those in those days. Uh, generally speaking, this what this is what may seem most strange to us. The ideal uh, arrangement was for cousins to marry each other. We find that very strange today, but that was that would have been the ideal marriage is for cousins to marry. Uh, but if not cousins, then certainly somewhere within the family structure, somewhere uh, in the ancestry of the family, you, you, that's where the men and women were called upon to, to join in marriage. Um, and if not that, then certainly within the faith tradition, within one's own religion, uh, the idea of marrying someone outside the faith was just uh, considered anathema. In fact, we see that later, even in the New Testament, when the, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 6.14, he says, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. Now, you may have uh, grown up with a, a different translation that speaks of being unequally yoked. Well, that's what that meant. It meant marrying someone outside the faith, and that would be considered an, uh, you know, being unequally yoked or mismatched with unbelievers. It also was the custom for uh, women to essentially be the property of men, that a young woman was the property of her father until she was given away, and that's where the whole tradition of giving the bride away uh, originated, uh, where the, the father would give his daughter away to a man who would then, uh, in essence, own his wife. And if something ever happened to the husband, then she would be transferred to either her husband's brother or to her own brother, but always to another man. The woman was, in essence, a helpmate for men. And... Um, you know, for us, that may seem very strange and awkward, but that was generally the custom in Bible times. I would suggest that that might be 
very much why that story of the woman at the well in Samaria, why she was living with a man who was not her husband, because she had nowhere else to go, and it was just not considered respectable to be, to be living alone as a woman, so she lived with a man. She had been married to five husbands, and now she was living with a man because she had nowhere else to go. And that brings up the whole point of divorce, that in those days, a man could divorce his wife for any reason. Uh, All he had to do is say, woman, I divorce you, be off. Uh, The women could not divorce their husbands for any reason. That's perhaps why Jesus spent so much of his time talking about marriage and divorce. You know, he didn't say much about a lot of the controversies that divide us today, but he said a whole lot about divorce that we've sort of kind of you know, let drift away. But that, that was very important in those days, and it was the prerogative of men to divorce their spouses. Now, men could also have more than one wife, and they could, in addition, have concubines. And it was also even okay to visit a prostitute from time to time. That was the prerogative of men. And in some cultures today, that still seems to be the prerogative. But that certainly was not the case with women. Women, in essence, were uh, convicted of adultery more so than men because men could have those relationships. Women could not. And as we've already discussed marriages were often arranged by the fathers of the of the brides now some men if you read the scriptures some men could choose their their wives and did uh, but more often than not than not it was the fathers who made the arrangement and of course women had little or no choice When Abraham sent his servant back to his homeland to find a wife for his son, Isaac, he was simply following the customs of his day. But I will admit, for most of us, these last two Sundays have been kind of difficult Sundays to listen to the lectionary text. Last Sunday, the the offering of Isaac as a sacrifice. Uh, Very hard to confront that text. This text can be very difficult for people to, wait a second, what are they doing with a Rebecca? This just isn't right. You know, what, what's going on here? And again, we're dealing with some very ancient, ancient customs. Now, we can despise the traditions and the customs that we see in the scriptures, and we can let them get in the way of a greater truth, or we have the choice to look for some underlying message a message that can maybe help us with our own decision-making today. Today's scripture lesson is an ancient story of faith, love, and decision-making as far as I'm concerned. And that's, that's what I'd like us to look at in these uh, moments we have together. It's a story told by Abraham's servant. The, the words that uh, have been read for us this morning are words out of the mouth of the servant. He's sort of telling the story of, of his, his uh, instructions from, from his master Abraham all the way up through his uh, meeting of Rebekah and his asking to uh, take her back so that Isaac could marry her. 
it is a story that he is telling to the relatives of Rebecca. So uh, following his uh, kind of portrayal of what he has gone through, then we have the narrator that tells us about what then happens as Rebecca goes with him back to Canaan and her encounter with Isaac for the first time. In this story, I think, for me, as I look at it, I can find six decision points, six places in which an individual in the story has to make a decision. And, and each one of those decisions is pretty critical. And I think we can learn some lessons, some lessons from, from these decision-making points um, and lessons that can help us as we confront decisions in our own lives. And so that's what I'd like us to do in these next few minutes together. Let's take the first decision point. The first one is that of Abraham, who has to choose whether or not in his custom, as he selects a, a woman to be married to his son, he has to decide whether that that woman would come from Canaan, a foreign land to him, or whether or not this bride would come from his homeland where he began, and maybe even among his own kindred, the people that he left behind. And this is the lesson that I, from his decision that he has to make, the lesson is honor heritage, because that's what he decides. He decides that he's going to, he's going to go back to his homeland. He's going to reach back down into the past of his life and he's going to bring out of that past someone who could marry his son who could carry on that that tradition if you will honor heritage now you don't have to live in the past in order to honor the past abraham's roots were important to him and i'd like to suggest that our roots are important to us as well now today marriage is hard enough just to go, it's hard enough in, in, in all the, uh, all the decision-making that we have to make as a couple, all the, all the, uh, the conflicts and, and, um, uh, things that kind of come upon us. It is really valuable to have roots. It's valuable to have a family that goes beyond just the couple. You can survive alone but you can thrive with a family. Too often I have seen couples that, that I've either counseled with or have, have worked with them as they move into a new relationship of marriage, and, and I see them coming from with different connections with their family. And I have found those who are connected with their family in a way that they can gain strength from them, their marriages are strengthened as well. It's too easy to think, well, well, that's not important. It's too easy to say, all I need is love for my spouse. That's all that I need to survive in my marriage. But there's something very powerful about a family that can support and encourage that relationship. Sometimes we need to break those ties. Sometimes those ties are destructive. Sometimes those ties uh, do not bring health into a new relationship. But more often than not, they bring strength to a relationship. So lesson one, honor heritage, I think, can be very valuable in our decision-making as we go forth in our own lives. The second decision point is that of the servant, and the servant of Abraham actually has two decisions to make. His first decision is whether or not he will go to Abraham's uh, homeland uh, 
with little chance of success or if he will stay put, if he'll say, sorry, master, I cannot go. There is no reason to go back there. I'm not going to find anyone who will be willing to leave their homeland and come to Canaan to marry your son. He had that choice to make. And so lesson number two is have faith. He had to have faith that going there ultimately would bring about success. He says in verse 39, perhaps the woman will not follow me. He doesn't believe there's got, he's going to find anyone who, who will follow him back to Canaan. But he goes anyway. He even makes an oath to do what Abraham wants him to do. He simply steps out in faith. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever come to a point where you had to make a decision and you go, well, what am I going to do? And there's no certainty in what your decision will be. And so you have to step out in faith. I'm not so sure this is going to work out, but I'm going to decide because this is the right way to go. And often it's a scary decision that has to be made. The disciples did it when they left behind their nets and their boats Philip did it when he, when he went on that, ga, that road to Gaza and he met the Ethiopian eunuch. Perhaps by the conversion of that Ethiopian eunuch, uh, Christianity was taken to the, to the whole land of Ethiopia. Perhaps it was because Philip was willing to listen and dare in faith to go where the Spirit led him. Paul did it on that road to Damascus when he allowed Ananias to come and take the scales off of his eyes so he could see once and for all the mighty work of Jesus Christ. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, did it when she listened to the voice in her dream to have this child and to, to raise this child so that he could become the Savior of the world. So you see, lesson number two is have faith. Lesson number three comes from the, the servant's sec, uh, second decision point, and that was he either had to go it alone and find this woman, or he needed to seek help. He needed to ask for help from God, and we, of course, know what he did. When he is recounting his story to the kinsfolk of Rebekah, this is what he said. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will only make successful the way I am going, I am standing here by the spring of water. Let the young woman who comes out to draw to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. That is his prayer that he prays before he goes to the spring and before he meets Rebecca. What the servant is telling Rebecca's family is that he sought help from God. He did not do it by himself. The reality is men are not the only people who are afraid to ask for help. It seems to be kind of human nature that we are afraid to ask for help. When I was um, <clears throat> when I was in seminary, I contracted viral meningitis. I think chickenpox was going all over the campus, and I ended up in the hospital for several several weeks. And when the time was approaching for me to be discharged, a couple from the church where I was working came and said, "We're going to take you to our home." And, and I said, no, that's okay. I'm fine. I'll, I'll be fine. They said, no, we're going to take you to home. You need some help. And uh, they, maybe, maybe they were talking about more than just my physical help. But anyway, they, they said, you, you need us to take you to our home. I said, no, look. And I, I swung my legs 
over the bed, and I stood up. Well, I attempted to stand up because I immediately fell to the ground because my legs, having laid in the bed for all those weeks, I, I couldn't stand. It taught me I needed help. I learned the hard way that sometimes we can't do it by ourselves. We need someone to help us. We need someone to take us to their home. We need someone to help us beyond ourselves. And that's what, that's what the servant of Abraham was saying to Rebecca's family is that he was seeking help from God. The greatest gift I think I can give my children is to ask them to help me, to say to them, I don't have all the answers. I need your help. The fourth decision point was that of Rebecca's family. They had to decide whether they would let her decide about her own life or whether they would decide it for her. It was, a, it was an easy decision-making point if they simply wanted to follow tradition, but they saw it as an opportunity to decide whether they would decide or they would allow Rebecca to decide. So lesson number four is relinquish control. That's what they are teaching us by what they ultimately decided. Ultimately, they asked Rebecca, will you go with this man? And ultimately, it was Rebecca's decision that she went with the servant to be married to Isaac. It's hard to let a loved one make their own decision, especially if you think their decision is wrong, especially if you think their lives are going down a trajectory that's going to lead to their harm. If you are a loving parent, you want to pull them back and you want to make a decision for them. If you're simply a loving friend, it's hard to relinquish control of someone else's life that you love. But that is exactly what they did. That's what Rebecca's family did for her. They gave her the opportunity to make a decision about her own life. It is only natural for us, if we love someone, to want to intervene. It's hard to relinquish control. But that, I believe, is one of the lessons of this story. When I was uh, in um, undergraduate uh, school at, at William and Mary, I had a burlap bag that I put up on my, on my dorm room wall. And whenever somebody would say something that I thought was particularly wise, I would put in a little slip of paper and put it up on my board. And I was a resident advisor for three of the four years I was there. And so a lot of the guys in my dorm, they, they, they took it upon themselves. It was sort of like a challenge to get on my board, you know? So they would periodically come in, how about this? How about that? And they'd try to, you know, bring quotes and stuff. And, you know, uh, I put one up that I really liked. It says this, love is like a hand full of powdered gold. The harder you grasp, the less you can hold. Think about it. Love is like a handful of powdered gold. The harder you grasp, the less you can hold. The harder we grasp on a person we love, the less we love them. The hardest thing it is for us to do for someone we love is to open our hands and let them live their own lives. But that's the lesson that Rebecca's family teaches us in this story. The fifth lesson comes from Rebecca's own decision point. She has to decide whether she's going to go, whether she's going to go with this man and marry a man she's never seen or never met, live in a land she's never been to. 
or is she going to stay at home with her family, with, with all the comforts of her home, with all the things that are familiar to her? The lesson is this. Lesson number five is go with God because that's what she decides. This is God's decision in a way, and she has decided to go where God is leading her. God's way is always the better way. You know, whenever I find myself most confused, when I don't know what I'm, what am I supposed to do, you know, and, and I start thinking, maybe this, maybe that, maybe, you know, I start really, the cloud starts forming around my decision point. It's at that moment that I know what I'm supposed to do. And that is precisely why my vision is clouded, because I have created the clouds, because I know what I want, what I need to do, and I know what I don't want to do. I found that to be true in my life over and over again. When I am most confused, that is when I believe God is giving me the answer to what I need to do. There's a poem called The Gate of the Year that reads like this. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. You see, going with God often means going out into the darkness and not knowing precisely where you're going to end up. We, we like to, to know what's at the end of the tunnel. But when God calls us, it's often, go out on that desert road. I'll show you what, you'll, what you're going to find. Or go to that land that I promised to you. Uh, you don't need to know where it is or what it is, but I want you to go. That's go with God, in other words. Sometimes that means us going to someone who has hurt us, someone who has betrayed us. And, and we... In our bitterness, that's the last place in the world we want to go. Maybe our anger has overtaken us and we just don't want to go to that person. But that might be the very place God is calling us to go. Sometimes it might mean going to a hospital room. And we hate hospitals because maybe we have a lot of memories of other past heartaches that we've experienced in hospital rooms. Maybe it means going to a different political perspective. Maybe to a different religious viewpoint. Maybe it means stepping across that line that we have created to divide us from people that we, we feel like are so out of touch with reality. But that's often where God is calling us. And we must choose. Go with God or stay at home. And then finally, the final lesson comes from Isaac's decision point. When Rebecca is brought to him, he has a choice. And his choice is to simply live out the custom, marry Rebecca, you know, pay her no mind, have a few children, maybe marry a few other women along the way, maybe have a concubine or two, just go with the, go with the flow. He could, he could do that, or he could choose to love her. And, of course, the scriptures tell us that he loved her. They didn't have to tell us that. But they told us that because that's a decision that he made. He let her have his heart. But his choice could have meant to just go through the motions and keep his heart to himself. So the last and most important lesson is choose love. Make love your life's goal. 
Paul said, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You see, love is at the very heart of the gospel. It is not a side trip. It is not something we do when we've done everything else, but it's what we do first. You've heard these bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Those are, that's wonderful. It's wonderful to ask that question. But ultimately, asking that question is, is really asking the question, what would love do? What, what would I do if I put love first? In, before I speak, before I act, before I get involved in this or that, if I ask the question, what would love do? I wonder how that would affect our decision-making. So if you have a decision to make, just ask yourself, what is the most loving thing that I can do in this situation? So we have six old, ancient lessons for a new age. Honor heritage, have faith, ask for help, relinquish control, go with God, choose love. And it takes courage to live out those lessons, a lot of courage. It took courage for Rebecca to leave her family and to go with Abraham's servant and start a new life with Isaac. She could have stayed at home, but she chose to go with God. It took courage for this church to decide a number of years ago to remain in downtown Charlottesville. The church could have decided to move out in the suburbs and build, build a, a lot easier building to maintain. We could have built somewhere where there would have been lots of parking, but the decision was made to stay here. That was a decision point for this church. It was a, a decision to go with God. This church could choose, as it has more recently, to stand against racism and bigotry, or we could choose just to sing our hymns and have a good time and eat our fellowship meals together and simply go through the motions of religion. But we chose a different route. We chose to follow God. We can choose to be engaged in the world, or we can choose to remain at home. And that's true for our church, and it's true for us as individual followers of Christ. Rebecca chose to go with God. My question to you is what will you decide? Let us pray. Lord, come to us wherever we are in our walk of faith and teach us these lessons that come to us across the centuries. Help us to look to you in every decision that we make and give us the courage to follow you. Amen.